So I'm sure everyone is waiting with bated breath to find out if they are a tzaddik, a benini, or a rasha. Tzaddik means the completely righteous. Benini means kind of like the middle ground type of thing. And the rasha is the evil person, right? So I don't know if you've already come to the conclusions yet by just reading chapters 1 through 8 of where you are holding or where I am holding. Truth of the matter is, the one thing that we know from this is, is that none of us can judge each other because you, know, you never really know what's going on inside. What we've been learning so far is that there is an entire world that exists beyond what the eye sees. In other words, like this. In Judaism, there are two, there are two, um, how would you say? Two planes, no, playing fields. Okay, there's the basic playing field, right? Which is God comes and gives us the Torah and he gives us 613 mitzvot. We got to do the do's and don't the don'ts. And that's pretty much the story. And for that, to know what we are allowed to do, what we're not allowed to do, how to behave as a Jew, for that we go to the Shulchan Aruch, the Code of Jewish Law, and we know what is uh, permitted, what's prohibited. But then, there's a whole other world, and that is, what's, what's going on? I told you, it's not your table. I can't eat. No, you cannot eat. Afterwards, okay? In the, in the social hall. In the social hall. Okay. But then there's the more internal world that we inhabit, or that inhabits us, and that is our relationship with God, uh, which goes beyond the definitions of the do's and the don'ts. To clarify, uh, the do's and the don'ts are the foundation of our relationship with God, and therefore it's very important that uh, the behavior should be on par. In fact, when God came to the Jewish people and he offered us the Torah, what did we say? We're going to do it, and we are going to learn it and absorb it. So in a way, you could say like this, Nasa means we're going to behave according to the dictates of the Torah, which means the book to know how to do Nasa, that's the Shulchan Aruch, the Code of Jewish Law, the Talmud, etc. But then, how do you do Nishma? How, how do you hear it? How do you absorb it? How do you absorb this relationship with God? For that, you need to have the inner dimension of the Torah. For that, you need to have uh, access to the information, or you need to have access to, to understand what is going on inside of me, or inside of everyone here. Um, so that is really what's, what's, what's being taught to us in the Tanya. So until chapter 8, we're learning about, <clears throat> we're learning about certain facts. We were introduced to the fact that we have two souls. We have the animal soul, the, which is the animating soul. That's a soul that brings us, you know, that, that, that uh, causes us to live. That's from God too, by the way. doesn't come from anywhere else. Life doesn't come from anywhere else besides for God. And then there is the divine soul. Um, and the Alter Rebbe explained at great length the difference between Kedusha and Klippa. Kedusha is holiness, uh, that which is on God's side. And then we have Klippa, which is unholiness, which is the opposite side. In the language of Kabbalah, it's called Sitra Akhra, the other side. And we explained that to be on the other side doesn't take too much. All you got to do is, uh, if it's not transparently God, then it's already the other side. Okay, chapter 9. The abode of the animal soul, the nefesh abahamis, 
derived from the klipat noga in every Jew, it is in the heart, in the left ventricle that is filled with blood. I'm not a cardiologist. I'm not going to fight with any cardiologists. What the Altar was telling us. I mean, I think everyone knows this, that the heart has two, two parts to it. Right? There's the, uh, four parts to it. Okay. But there's a right and there's a left. And on the left side, it's filled with blood. Fine. So that is the place of the Nefesh Bahamas of the animal soul. That is its main abode. It is written, for the blood is the Nefesh. Hence, all lusts and boasting and anger and similar passions are in the heart. And from the heart, they spread throughout the whole body, rising also to the brain and the head, so as to think and mediate about, uh, meditate about them and become cunning in them. Just as the blood has its source in the heart, and from the heart it circulates into every limb, rising also to the brain in the head. Okay. We all think in our, in our brain, and we all feel in our heart. But what, first of all, what, what does it mean that you feel in your heart? What, what's that supposed to mean? Isn't the feeling also in your brain? Your emotion is... The emotion is in your heart. thinking. Sometimes you act emotionally, and sometimes mm-hmm. you act uh, more brainly, more uh, rational. But isn't an emotion also a thought? Yeah, everything is called by the heart, by the, by by the, the brain, but it's still... Uh, so what's going on? Why, why are we talking about the heart? Because sometimes you don't I think, act Rabbi, I think the heart is rational. the source of life, the main source of life, right? Fine. So maybe that's why, you know, our feelings are expressed as they come from our heart. But I, I feel that it comes from our brains. But the heart, it sort of like fuels it. Oh, okay. Because the heart is the, is the chair of the emotions. Is where the emotion is over there, no? Right, right. So, so, so let, let's, let's uh, kind of uh, define this a little bit. It's also the only mu- uh, muscle that has its own source of energy that can cause the pumping. It does not require thought from any, anywhere else. Fine, fine. So let me ask you a question. I mean, we're going to say soon that the nefesh alikis, that the divine soul, its place is in the brain, right? So, so let me ask you a very simple question. If I'm thinking that I want to learn Torah, so where is that coming from? Where am I thinking that? In my brain. And if I'm thinking that I want to go and eat a ham sandwich, where is that coming from? From also in the brain, <laughs> also in the brain, right? But if that thought is coming from the nefesh abahamis, from the animal soul, my, my divine soul doesn't want to eat a ham sandwich, right? God forbid. That's, that's not, definitely not from the divine soul. So, <laughs> why are we saying that the animal soul is in the heart? So, the answer is, all thoughts are in the brain. Thoughts are in the brain. The question is, where is this thought coming from? What I mean by that, it's it's possible. So just like, for example, you could say, um, on the one hand, you could say that the brain is the most important thing in the body, right? The most important limb. On the other hand, you say the heart is the most important. Why? Without blood, would the brain be able to function? No. If there's no blood going to the brain, it wouldn't be able to function. Where does blood come from? From the heart, right? Without a brain, could the heart function? Also not. Not really. Well, Not really. Can 
By the way, the brain can function without the heart also, right? What's the... Anyway, no, so brain death means the brain is dead, but the, but the heart is still pumping, heart is still yeah. moving. Yeah, by the way, brain death also means that there's a certain part of the brain that's also still working. You know that. This whole brain dead thing is a bit of a, mm. a bit of a hoax. But anyway, I heard this from a doctor. Huh? You can be a brain dead, but not heart dead. Because if you're, heart, if you're dead, heart dead, then you're dead dead, <laughs> right? Okay. I know some people that live full lives like that. Brain full dead. lives what? Being brain dead? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Alrighty. So uh, we hope not to be those people. Alrighty. So now, here is the deal. The Nefesh Abahamis, the animal soul, it's all about the physical life. That's what it's all about. That's what it is. What is the main ingredient of physical life? Blood. Blood is what keeps you alive. And therefore, the place of the Nefesh Abahamis is in the source of this type of life. And that is the heart. Blood represents the physical life of a person. That's what it's all about, the blood. And therefore, the animal soul is in the heart. So, one second, so where are my thoughts coming from? Yeah, from the heart, the passions, the lusts, all of that, travel to the brain, so that the brain should start to think, oh, I want to do this, I want to do that, I want to acquire this, steal this, kill that, right? All these different things are in the mind. But the source of it is in the heart. Why? Because that's the source of physical, materialistic, the blood of life. But the abode, of, we're continuing here on the right side, <clears throat> but the abode of the divine soul is in the brains that are in the head. And from there, it extends to all the limbs. And also in the heart, in the right ventricle, wherein there is no blood. Right? That's where the oxygen is, I guess. As is written, the heart of the wise man is on his right. Well, do wise people have their heart on a different part of the body? Right? No, the heart is in the same place. But the wise man, in other words, the wisdom of the nefesh of the kiss, extends to the heart on the right side. The wisdom of the nefesh of the kiss, the life of the nefesh of the kiss, the passion of the nefesh of the kiss is not in the blood, in the physicality of the person, it's in the spirit, which is represented by the air that we breathe, the oxygen that we breathe, right? And God blew into his nostrils a breath of life, right? That represents the divine soul that comes in. So the divine soul is represented by the breath of life. <clears throat> and the animal soul is represented by the blood, right? Two very important things to live, but very different. Uh, it is the source of man. So, so what's the? Why does the nefesh alikis? Why does the divine soul? Why isn't the brain enough for the divine soul? Why does it also have to have a ventricle in the heart? Why does it have to have an official place in the heart? Because the divine soul is not just about in- intelligence, the brains. It's also about emotions. The purpose of divine intelligence the purpose of intellectually delving into and meditating on the divine, on God, is in order to develop a love and a passion for God. So it is the source of man's fervent love towards God, which like flaming coals flares up in the heart of discerning men who understand and reflect with the faculty of knowledge of their brain, right? Specifically knowledge, which is da'at. Right? Remember what da'at is? 
Right, so Chachma Bina Da'at. We have the three elements, the three parts to to human intelligence. Chachma is the inspiration. Bina is the analyzation. In other words, taking it apart and understanding all of its details. And Da'at means to connect it to you. In other words, to apply it. To say it's not just an idea, it's about me. And that's when you develop a passion and a fervent love for it, etc. Um... With the faculty of knowledge of their brain on matters that arouse this love. Right? So that's one thing that happens as a result. In other words, that's one expression of the divine soul having a place in the heart. Through the fact that the person reflects on ideas that bring them to understand the greatness of God, the relevance of God, how God is involved in every single detail of creation and every every detail that's happening in my life all of the wonderful things that happens, right? These are the things that we talk about in the prayers. We talk about how, how, how God creates everything, creates it at, at all times. God takes care of us in every single detail. So when we think about all of this, that's when you start to feel it that way, right? It's like um, you have a child that's very upset at their parents, right? They hate their parents. How do you get them to love their parents? One of the ways is, okay, let's just down, let's figure things out over here. You have a place to sleep, you have a place to eat, you have clothing, you have a school to go to, and things like that. They start to realize all the things that parents do for them, they start to realize, hey, it's all a different story, right? But as long as they don't think about these things, when children are not forced to face these ideas, it's very possible for them to convince themselves they hate their parents, they don't care for their parents, their parents don't love them, all that. The same thing happens to us. When we're not forced, when we're not, um, how do you say, when we don't have to face certain realities of life, and we could just wake up, live a life, go to sleep, and do the same thing, so then we could just ignore God, not think about Him. But when we're forced to think about God, and we think about God, then we start to realize, hey, we have so much to be thankful for. We have so much to be grateful. We have so much to love. And that's how it continues here. Um, also of the gladness of the heart, in the beauty of God, and the majesty of His glory, which is aroused when the eyes of the wise men that are in his head, right, these are all terms that he's going to be uh, discussing later on as well, but what does it mean that the eyes are in the head? Have you ever seen someone that uh, has eyes somewhere else other than the head? Well, maybe there's some people there's no eyes in the head. You know, oh, just, oh. Uh... So obviously head doesn't mean the skull, and eyes doesn't just mean the physical eyes that we're talking about over here. The eyes means that when a wise person focuses, understands, and appreciates certain realities, and when he's focused on the head, which that's the place for the divine soul, in the brain harboring his wisdom and understanding, when they glaze at, when they gaze at the glory of the king and beauty of his greatness, that are unfathomable and without end or limit, as explained elsewhere, as also the other holy affections in the heart originate from Chabad, wisdom, understanding, knowledge, in the brains. Fine. So we have two souls, and these two souls have two very different functions. Not only do they have two different functions, they have different offices in, your, in, your, in you. The main office for the divine soul is in the brain, but it also extends into the heart, uh, in the right ventricle. And uh, the nefesh abaham is the animal soul, its main office is in the heart. Oh, that's all part of that whole idea. But Nefesh Bahamas, by the way, is much broader than the Yetzir Hara. 
Why? Okay, so you just mentioned a, a word. It's a catchphrase, actually. Everyone knows about the Yitzhara, the evil inclination, the one that tries to get us to do the, the wrong thing, the bad thing, etc. So, is the Nefesh Abahamis and the Yitzhara synonymous? Are they the same thing? You say no. What? You say no. You say no. What do you say? I say something. Say something. So I think that the Nefesh Bahamas is the vehicle that the Yetzirah uses. It fuels it to do. So you're saying the Yetzirah is like this huge monster that's using my Nefesh Bahamas to kind of get to me. Fine, no problem. Think of something bad, and then you have to have the, 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 that side of you to be able to okay. Okay. I say something. I get a bottle of water with that. Yes. Yes. So, like this. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. The Nefesh Bahamis, let's put this, the Yetzirah is a nuisance. Not everyone has a Yetzirah, by the way. There are some people that don't have a Yetzirah. They're not, how you say, they're not being convinced or, or pushed by any type of force inside of them to do something evil, to do something wrong. No, that's called a tzaddik, as we'll learn about soon. They don't have a yetzara. But everyone has a nefesh abahamis. Everyone has an animal soul. Otherwise, they wouldn't be alive. Right? What does Alter Rebbe say in the beginning of Tanya? Every Jew has two souls. Every Jew. Moses also had two souls. Right? So, the Nefesh Bahamis is here to stay. That's the, that's the part of us that eats, that sleeps, that survives. That's here to stay until, you know, until the day we, we leave this world. So, what's the, so, so the Nefesh Bahamis is that part of us that's involved in life. Now, because it's involved in life, which by definition is egocentric. It's about me, the preservation of me. That's what it is. So from there, it is very easy for it to evolve into a Yetzir Hara, into an evil inclination, an inclination that wants to drag us into doing things that have nothing to do with the service of God. So essentially, the Yetzir Hara is a byproduct of the Nefesh Bahamis, of the, of, of the, of the animal soul. We never want to get rid of the Nefesh Bahamis. That's here to stay. We want to get rid of the Yetzir Hara, the evil inclination. So what are you supposed to do with the Nefesh Bahamis? The Nefesh Bahamis can become a vehicle for the, for, the, for the divine soul as well. In other words, every part of life, of survival, of, 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 of eating and drinking and sleeping and, and working and all of that could all be elevated into, uh, how do you say, uh, all vehicles of the nefesh of the kids of the divine soul, right? The divine soul can't eat. The divine soul can't wrap tefillin on its arm. Only the nefesh of Bahamas could do that. The thing is, though, that oh, so fine, very good. By default, the nefesh of Bahamas wants things that are good for itself. By default, that's what it wants. So now here's where the struggle becomes. Is it going to become all about me? Is it going to become all about my lusts and my wants and my desires and pleasures, etc.? All about the physical body, all about the physical experience? Or will the nefesh of the kiss, the divine soul, 
prevail upon the Nefesh of Bahamas that it should basically ride along with the with the agenda of the Nefesh Alekis of the Divine Soul. That's where we're going towards. So that's one of the reasons why most of the time in the Tanya, it does not use the word Yetzir Tov or Yetzir Hara. In fact, he mentions it in passing in the first page. Yetzir Tov and Yetzir Hara. He mentions those words as he's quoting from the Talmud. But the language of the Tanya predominantly is not Yetzir Tov and Yetzir Hara because that's not what he's dealing with yet. He's not dealing with... Um, Let's take on the evil inclination. I don't know. We have to take on the human condition. My problem is not that I want to eat a ham sandwich. The problem is that I want to eat. That's my problem. Because if I want to eat, from there I can go to, I want to eat this, I want to eat that, I want to put salt on my kosher chicken. Isn't that kosher? It's good. But if you're putting salt on your chicken and rather should be more tasty... Is that a divine thing or is that a animal thing? It's an animal thing, right? In other words, it, this is this is a, a, a game changer. The animal thing is not the yetzerah. What? The animal thing is not the yetzerah. It is. It, technically, it is right. But in other words, like this: if if let's say I'm, I have a perfectly kosher chicken, yeah, piece of chicken in front of me, right, and then I, I take some salt and I pour it over the chicken. Did my Yetzir Hara tell me pour salt over the chicken? Am I doing a sin here? No. no. So. What's the sin? I'm not doing a sin. What's, what's the problem? <coughs> but what about me? What, what pushed me to pour salt on the chicken? Why did I do that? It impacts the taste. It's your desire to have a better meal or a tasty meal. Oh, whose desire? Yours. Mine. Yeah. Or you've been taught that way. Why were you taught that way? So it should be tastier, right? One second. So it should be tasty. Yeah, that's why you were taught that way. That's why I'm taught to pour some salt. I'm not talking about salting the chicken to get the blood out. That's before it's cooked. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about pouring some my table salt onto my chicken that's already there. I'm about to eat it. For right? the taste. For the taste. Simply for the taste. Do you need taste in order to survive? No. By the way, have all the tasty food you want. I, I, I'm, I'm very happy to have tasty food. And by the way, if you're preparing a meal for guests, you must make it tasty. We're talking here about myself, right? Because for myself, actually yesterday in the, the video that we watched, it was a very fascinating message. Remember this? The Rebbe, the Rebbe quoted from the previous Rebbe, from the Balshamtiv, that to take care of someone else's materialism, that they should be okay physically, that's a spiritual obligation for you. In other words, if I'm preparing a meal for guests, I'm doing hachnasat or achim, I'm welcoming guests, pouring salt on it in order that they should have a tasty meal, that's a mitzvah. Pouring salt on my chicken so that I should have a tasty meal, you lowlife. <laughs> you lowlife. What, what now, did you do a sin? No, you didn't do a sin. The Yetzir Hara told you, no. But, but based on the parameters that we've set in chapters 1 through 8, that the moment you do something, that you want something that is not in order to serve God, it's simply in order to indulge in your own pleasures, bam, you're in Sitra Akhra. That's it. You're Sitra Akhra. It's the biggest take, no? 
Huh? Huge steak. With a thing on top, the right cut, this, that. Right? When you go to a restaurant, you get the steak, and you say, no, no, it's, it's medium rare. I want the rare, rare, and the this rare, and the this rare. Ew. What's wrong with you? Now, if you're doing the mitzvah oh, you make sure you give the best. Right? It's, it's a very fascinating uh, thing over here. So, one, one second, hold on. So, so, like this. Someone just told me a good line from a chassid. Uh, there, was a, there was a famous chassid, his name was Itcha der Masmit. Itcha, his name was Yitzchak, so they called him Itcha. And he was from the, the Chabad Yeshiva. He was a very, very big chassid. I'm not going to get into him right now. But he once said like this. He said, you know, the, the word in Hebrew for, for pleasures or indulgences is taivis. A taiva. Taiva means that you have an indulgence. You have, you have a, a desire for something. There's two types of taivis. There's taivis iser. There are certain indulgences that are <clears throat> prohibited. You're not allowed to eat them. Not kosher food. These types of things. You're not, you're not allowed to. Then there's something called taivas heter. There's a taiva, there's something you desire, that you lust, etc. And it's mutter, it's perfectly permitted. It's kosher. Yeah. So Rabbi the Masmah said, well, what does it mean, taivas heter? A taiva indulging in something separates you from God. Right? You're on the other side. You're on the wrong team. So what does it mean that it's heter, that it's allowed? He says, you know, God gives you permission to go away from him. <laughs> Interesting concept here. God's like, you want? You, you want to go to the other side? No problem, go. Go to the other side. What's the point? I'm not trying to get everyone to stop eating steak or to stop putting salt on their chicken. But that's what we're talking about over here. We're talking, the, the Alter Rebbe in Tanya is not just dealing with, you know, there's a, there's a battle of the titans, right? The, the, I have this thing inside of me that wants to uh, that eat not kosher, and I'm going to fight it and I'm going to eat only kosher. That, okay. Fine, that's NASA. That's all NASA business. That's all about behaving according to the way the Shulchan Aruch, the Code of Jewish Law, instructs me to behave. Let's deal with the actual battle. What's really happening here? Why is there a battle? Why are you struggling with these issues? And by the way, what really is your struggle? Is it just about kosher or not kosher? Or is there something deeper here? And so, so the, that's why the Altar was introducing us to these two nefashot, these two different souls, two lives inside of us. It's two different lives that are happening. Parallel lives, really. There's the physical life, and there's the spiritual, the divine life that's happening inside of us. And we have to know that the divine life, that's mainly in the head. The physical life, that's mainly happening in the heart. It is written, however, let's continue. It is written, however, returning the page, one nation shall prevail over the other nation. Aha. You got these two worlds inside of you, two nations inside of you. Oh, there we go. This is a quote from the Torah. What's the quote from the Torah? We have a story that there was a Jewish woman, her name was Rivka, Rebecca, and she wasn't pregnant for many, many years, and finally she became pregnant. She's pregnant, and then she realizes that there's something wrong with uh, the baby inside of her. What's wrong? She goes past the yeshiva. She goes past the place where they learn Torah, where they learn about God, and the baby is kicking. She goes past the place where people serve idols, and the baby is kicking. So what's happening to my baby? My baby is attracted to both God and to idol worship. This is a terrible thing. So she goes to Shem, Shem who was the son of Noah. He was the prophet at the time. And she said, what's going on? 
What's with my baby? And Hashem gave a prophecy. And he said, you have two babies inside of you. It's twins. These two babies represent two different worlds. Two different nations. They're going to be two different superpowers. And they will constantly be fighting with each other. And they say, one nation shall prevail over the other nation. It's always going to be, it's like a seesaw. When this one is up, this one is down. This one is up, this one is down. That's the way it's going to be. And that's what Yaakov and Esau is. And so already in the womb, they're fighting. But this is also very symbolic to what's happening to every one of us. We're both, we're, we are all pregnant with Yaakov and Esau. We all have a Yaakov and Esau inside of us. Yaakov is the nefesh alikis, the divine soul. Esau is the nefesh Bahamis, the animating life, the animating soul. And they're constantly at war. What are they fighting over? Me. They're fighting over my body. And he says, the body is called a small city. Right? He's taking this from uh, Kohelet, from uh, King Solomon. The body is called a small city. Just as two kings wage war over a town, which each wishes to capture and rule, that is to say, to dominate its inhabitants according to its will, so that they obey him in all that he decrees for them. So do the two souls, the divine and vitalizing animal soul that comes from the klipa, they wage war against each other over the body and all its limbs. It's actually a very like, vivid, uh, and it, it, it sparks the imagination here, right? Think about a city, and two kings want to control it, and there's no middle ground. There's no agreeing, okay, you'll get half the city, I get half the city. No, no, no. The city is all or nothing. And what does it mean to rule the city? Like a king, not like a president, right? A president has a senate, has a congress, has all these different things. Yeah, it's all busy. And people could vote. A king means he rules. That's it. Whatever the king says, that's what's going to happen. The divine soul wants to dominate us. And the animal soul wants to dominate us. So the Altareb is going to give us a long description of what does it mean, the divine soul dominating us. Um, it is the desire and will of the divine soul that she alone rule over the person and direct him, and that all his limbs should obey her and surrender themselves completely to her and become a vehicle for her, as well as a robe an instrument for her ten faculties and three garments mentioned above. Right, the ten faculties which are split up into intelligence and emotions. Uh, three in the intelligence, that's Chabad, and then there's seven emotions, and then you have the three garments, which is thought, speech, and action. So the divine soul wants us to think Jewish, or whatever. Wants us to perceive the world intelligently, Jewishly. It wants us to feel Jewish. It wants us to think, speak, and act Jewish. There's no, there's no games here. There's no, no room for anything else all of which should pervade the organs of the body, and the entire body should be permeated with them alone, to the exclusion of any alien influence, God forbid. That is to say that the three brains that are in the head shall be permeated with Chabad of the Divine Soul, namely the wisdom of God and the understanding of Him, by pondering on His unfathomable and infinite greatness. And from them shall be born through the dot, through knowledge. Then we get to the emotions. Awe in his mind and dread of God in his heart. 
as well as love of God that shall flare up like a glowing fire in his heart, like flaming coals, so that his soul shall yearn and long with passion and desire to cleave to the blessed Ein Sof with his whole heart, soul, and might from the very depths of the right ventricle of the heart. The latter would be so thoroughly permeated with love to overflowing as to inundate the left side as well. Notice, the, the divine soul doesn't want to cut off the left side. He wants to influence the left side. He wants to overflow from the right side, so to speak, and influence the left side. He can't get rid of the nefesh He can't get rid of the, the animal, but he could take control of the animal. To the extent of subduing the Sitra Akhra with its element of the evil waters, namely, the lust stemming from Klipat Noga, changing it and transforming it from seeking the pleasures of this world to the love of God. Thus, it is written, we say in the, in the Shema, V'ahavta at Hashem Elokecha, You shall love the Lord your God, B'chol levavcha. What does Bechol Levavcha mean? With all your heart. Your heart? Hearts. 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 Two hearts. You could have said Bechol Libcha. Libcha means your heart. Lev is a heart. Libcha. Levavcha. Seems like there's two hearts over here. With all your hearts. Oh, both, of your, both sides of your heart. Right? Thus it is written with all thine heart, with both your natures. Both of them have to be permeated with God. I mean, one of them is automatically. And the whole purpose is that it should influence the other side as well. That is to say that the person shall steadily rise to attain to the degree of abundant love, a supreme affection surpassing that of ardent love that is comparable to burning coals. Um, we're talking about different levels of love the point is that when you are able to influence the other side to love God as well you've reached very very high levels of intense and flaming love for God this is what is called in scripture love of delights which is the experience of delight in godliness of the nature of the world to come (coughs) This, this delight is in the brain of wisdom the intellectual pleasure of comprehending and knowing God to the extent that one's intellect and wisdom can grasp Him. This is the element of water and seed, light that is sown in the holiness of the divine soul that converts to good the element of water in the animal soul from which the lust for mundane pleasures had been previously derived. So going back to our, our original point, the animal soul is not inherently evil. Animal soul is a tool, really. And it can go one way or another. Naturally, it is, uh, how do you say, uh, inclined, it's naturally inclined to get stuck in klipa, to get stuck in the other side, because it's all about me. But if, you're a di- if your divine soul is powerful enough and it permeates your mind so powerfully and it flows over into the heart and from the right ventricle it flows over into the left ventricle, the point is that it is possible to hijack, to harness 
the, 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 the force and the power of the animal soul, that it should not be invested in me, in my own pleasures, my own indulgences, that it should be invested in loving God. Um, one of the examples given for this idea, you know, a horse is a horse, right? But if you harness the horse, you get onto the horse, could the human being do a lot of great things with the horse? Of course, it can go great distances. Same thing over here. The divine soul, with all of its holiness and all of its transparency to God, etc., at the end of the day, it's limited. It's not very powerful. It's not a very powerful tool. But if it harnesses the animal soul, that's a very powerful tool. And it can start to love God even more. So if you want to love God in the best way possible, don't get rid of your animal soul. Harness your animal soul. Right? A human being is better off, would live, lives a better human life if it has animals, right? If it has horsepower, right? Because a human being is never going to get that type of power. So therefore, you need to have the animals. They're, but but the, would, would you ask the animal advice where to go and how to do things? No, right? You do your thing. Use your power. Well, you still um, need to feed the animal and take of care course, of it. Got to feed it and take care of it, etc. But you'll never turn the animal into the focus of your life. That's it. It's all about the animal. What are you doing? Right? Unless it's a, a $12 million horse and, and you're making so much money off the horse, then we'll, we'll talk about that soon. <laughs> but, uh, or the cat person who has cats. All right, fine. But those are special people. Very special people. In a different way. Thus it is written in Eitz Chaim, Portal 50, Chapter 3, on the authority of the Zohar. <laughs> That the evil is converted into and becomes completely good, like the good nature itself, through the shedding of the soiled garments, the pleasures of this world in which it had been clothed. Yeah. So we're talking here about something very intense. The divine soul is fighting over the body. He wants to take complete control of the body, not get rid of the body, not get rid of the, the left side, but to take full control over it. So too shall the other midot in the heart, the offshoots of awe and love, be dedicated to God alone. And the faculty of speech that is in his mouth and the thought that is in his mind shall be entirely and solely the instruments of the garments of thought and speech of the divine soul alone. What does that mean? What does it mean to think and speak God? Namely, meditation on God and his Torah, which shall be the theme of his speech throughout the day. His mouth ceaselessly studying it. No Super Bowl. Only Torah. And the faculty of action centered in his hands, as also in the rest of the 248 organs, shall function exclusively in the performance of the commandments, which is the third garment of the divine soul. This is the agenda of the nefesh and the kiss of the divine soul. It's battling for control not just of some of the person, half of the person, one day a week of the person, just his thoughts, just his speech, just his action. No. Everything. That's what the divine soul wants. And this is not the Yetzir Tov? Nah, this is more than the Yetzir Tov. Yetzir Tov is all in... In general, the word Yetzir is basically emotions, okay. inclinations. It's all in emotions. We're talking here already higher than that. We're talking about the intelligence, right? So... The Yetzir Tov, it's always, you know, you're presented with a question, the Yetzir Tov says, don't, don't eat that ham sandwich, and the Yetzir Tov says, eat the ham sandwich. That's like the nitty-gritty fight, which is an important fight. You've got you to be in control of that too. 
But the real war that's happening here, the battle that's happening is over the entire city. The entire person, his mind too. It's not enough to act Jewish, feel Jewish, think Jewish as well. You got to understand the world from a Jewish, Jewish perspective. It's intense stuff. Very intense. But that's the agenda of the Nefesh Alekis. That's the agenda of the Divine Soul. What's the agenda of the animal soul? By the way, notice that the Altar took almost a full page to describe to us what the agenda of the Divine Soul is, right? Because we're not really used to understanding what this means. About the animal soul, he gives us two lines. However, the, de- the, the desire of the animal soul, which is derived from the klipa, is the very opposite. Very He doesn't go into details. It's opposite. So what does opposite mean? That everything should be about me, myself, and I, and the pleasures of the world, and whatever I need and my indulgences, everything, all about me. What's the question? Who gave us this Nefesh Bahamas? God. Why? He hates us. So the Altar continues, and it is for the good of the man. This whole Nefesh is, but God, when God gives us these two souls, He's not just giving us, oh, you got two souls, pick whichever one you want, have a good day. No, no, no. He basically brought two kings to a city, fight. I'm in the city, and I have these two kings fighting over me. Why in the world? Why are you doing this to me? What benefit do I have from that? God says, oh, you've got a huge benefit. Why? Because when there's going to be a fight between the divine soul and the animal soul, now you could prove yourself. Now you can prove yourself. And here he brings the, the parable from the Zohar. He says, And it is for the good of man that he may prevail over her and vanquish her, as in the parable of the harlot and the holy Zohar. What's the parable? There was a king who had a son, and he wanted to, uh, how do you say, to bring out, he wanted to reveal the moral strength of his son. The test. He wanted to test. So how does he do? He has to test him. So he called in the best harlot in the country. And he said, I'm paying you. Go and seduce my son. So what are you talking about? He says, I want to show how, 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 uh, how strong he is. So she goes and does her job, right? So who's the enemy here? Who's the enemy? No one. No, the king. No, the, the king wants to show how strong his son is. And the harlot is doing what the king wants. So there's no enemy. Really, there's no enemy. The, the, the son has to be, how do you say, the, the, the prince has to be sufficiently strong. And Obviously, the king doesn't do it when the child didn't have any education. Now, obviously, the, the child was educated. He's given everything. Okay, now let's go. When, when God gave, came and gave us the Torah, right? <laughs> Did God take away our Yetzir Hara? <laughs> Like, technically he did, but anyway, it came back. Fine. We've got a Yitzhara. How do I know he didn't take away Yitzhara? What does he say in the Ten Commandments? Don't steal, don't kill, don't commit adultery. If we don't have a Yitzhara, we're not going to want to do all these things, right? So obviously, he knows what we have. And he set us up. But that's why he's giving us Torah. That's why he gave it to us with Matan Torah, with the giving of the Torah, the revelation at Sinai, at, at Sinai. That revelation gave us the understanding and the appreciation. This is a real deal. And we can handle it. We can overcome it. We'll fail. We'll stand up again, etc. But this is what the whole story is all about. How we impose, no? Huh? 
how we impose, no? Y cómo superamos. Eh, how to overcome. How we right, how to, exactly. That's why God gave us the Torah. And by the way, you know what the Jewish people saw at Sinai? Before the Jewish people got the code of Jewish law, the Jewish people got Kabbalah. They saw God. They saw all the heavenly spheres. They saw everything. God was basically showing us, this is a real deal. I am God. I created the world. I'm in control of the world. You're here. You have a mission. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be a walk in the park. When the harlot comes to the prince and starts to seduce him, the prince is challenged. It's a huge challenge. But the harlot's not the enemy. The nefesh of Bahamas, the, the animal soul, that's not the enemy. That's why there's no point in Judaism to destroy your body, to destroy your nefesh of Bahamas. That's not the point. The point is that you should invest as much as possible in the divine soul. So finally here in chapter 9, the Altarim is starting to talk about us. He said, okay, I just set up the, the playing field. There's a nefesh of the kiss, there's a nefesh of Bahamas. You should realize these are not just thieves, these are real things. These are realities inside of each and every one of us. The nefesh of the kiss is mainly in the brain. The nefesh of Bahamas is mainly in the heart. And they're both in the same body because they're both fighting over the body. There's a war going on over here. And the question is, who is going to win? Will the nefesh of the kiss win? Or will the nefesh of Bahamas win? And then we can go in chapter 10, 11, 12, and based on this we can understand the three categories of a tzaddik, a rasha, and a benini. Now we can understand what this means. Tzaddik, rasha, and benini is not just about behavior. There's so much more going on. Because the war is not just about am I going to do the mitzvah or not do the mitzvah. The war is about how am I going to think? How am I going to feel? How am I going to perceive the world? That's what the war is all about. So you could have a guy who's doing everything right, but inside of him, he's a mess. That's not a tzaddik. Is he a good guy? Definitely. He's doing all the right stuff, right? He might get even more credit than a tzaddik, right? Because he's so messed up inside and still he's doing the right stuff, right? But the point is that um, all of a sudden now, what's at stake or the issues that we need to deal with are much broader than just the question of am I going to do the mitzvah or not going to do the mitzvah? Am I going to behave this way or not? It's about what's going on inside of me. Technically speaking, if it was all about behavior, within a month or two, I could figure out behaviors. Train the cat to do what it needs to do. Train the animal. And that's it. We're done. We'll train them. You know the famous story about the Rambam and the cat. There was a whole fight, a whole discussion in the, in the king's court if you can really train a, a, a cat to be just like a human being. Anyway, the, the other you know, philosopher said you could, and the Rambam says you can't. So they decided, we'll, we'll put it to a test. So they took a cat and they trained it, and they said on a certain day they're going to show how the cat can be just like a human being. So the Rambam is sitting over there, there was a big banquet, and the, the cat is going to you know, come around like a waiter. He's going to walk on two, and he's going to you know, serve the king. At that point in time, the cat comes in dressed in a tuxedo, and it's on two legs, and it's you know carrying uh, some type of dish for the king. And as the cat is about to come to the king, the Rambam opens up a little box, a little matchbox that he had, and the little mouse comes out. The mouse comes running, and the cat sees the mouse, drops everything, and runs after the mouse. Right? What's going on over here? You can't turn a cat into a human being. That you can't do. The person is also an animal. But the person 
be turned into a mensch. If it's only involved in the nefesh of Bahamas and the animal souls, and it's an animal. But the person also has a nefesh of the kiss, a divine soul. And a person to be trained, not just in action, but also internally, to think differently, to feel differently, to perceive the world differently. And that's the battle that's raging. And that doesn't take two months to figure out. It could take a lifetime plus. And that's what life is all about. The battle over the city. Alrighty, thank you for joining us for chapter 9. And uh, we will you. see you again next week. Thanks for the... Thank All you, the best. Thanks. Big chapter. <laughs>